This is Season 1, Episode 11 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about up in your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and, you know, strong opinions. Our episode tonight, Character Backgrounds, or Not All Adventures Need to be Orphans. Welcome again to Mastering the RPG. As I said, we're all about maximizing your game with advice, ideas, cool stuff found, strong opinions, Eric getting animated, you know, all that good stuff. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you'll find all our information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. That's all one word. And if you have feedback, questions, you want Eric to adjudicate a problem you're having with your folks (laughs) at the table, that's gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. So, hey everyone! It is great to see you and or and hear you. Um, so, what's been going on? How's it going? Hi there, Carl. Uh, everything's going really, really well. Just uh, around the spooky Halloween season, so um, that time of year is really, really busy for me. I'm running all sorts of uh, um, Halloween esque Call of Cthulhu games around the around the weeks uh, and leading up to and after Halloween. So having an, an awful lot of fun plotting the demise of my characters in horrible, gruesome ways. Um, I'm also writing a scenario for Halloween this year, or, or have been writing a scenario for Halloween this year, uh, a distinctly Australian scenario of, um, of 19th century bush ranger evil Ooh. that's a bit of fun. So we're playtesting that for future publications. So very busy time of year, Halloween. Spooky season's a good time to do role-playing games. And you? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's funny. The same thing. I've uh, just for my group that Eric's in, we just did a Savage Worlds based um, game called uh, Zombies Black Friday, which is um, you get stuck in a mall during Christmas season when the world goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, and I'm also running that exact same adventure for um, the uh, Pinnacle Entertainment, the guys who make Savage Worlds. They have an online convention, and I'm running the exact same adventure, and we'll see whether that turns out the same or turns out different, but it's pretty exciting to have a chance to to run kind of one of these spooky games. I don't normally do that, so it's kind of fun to try it out. Shopping malls are hell at Christmas anyway, but now it's even more <laughs> hell as hell rises. I love it. Sounds great. I've got – I don't know if you've, you've seen the uh, – there's an iconic symbol of Australian outlaws, which is called Ned Kelly, a guy with a helmet on his head and he wears armour and he's kind of really nasty. So uh, my scenario is involved in what happens if there was pustulant kind of fleshy creature beneath that helmet, which is kind of a bit of fun. It grosses out our Australian audiences in a major like way. Like ratatouing him around, like riding him or that's like no, controlling no, he, him? No, oh, okay. he actually is a pustulant flesh being ah. underneath underneath the armor. You don't realize until you take the helmet off. And oh, it's, it's kind, it's kind of stuffed in there. Got kind it. of an Anakin Skywalker, but leeching out with flesh. <laughs> he pudges. It's kind of a bit, a bit spooky, a bit fun. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> and you, Eric, how's, how's uh, Halloween treating you? Are you, uh, you, you you're doing some cosplay and scaring uh, the neighborhood I mean, children? I'm dressing as a giant crab. I mean, for me, I'm on Halloween Street, so we're gearing up for like 400 plus kids, more than that maybe. I don't even know. People come from all over to my street for some reason. Um, and there's like bands and concerts. So I'm not doing anything gaming related. I am building out towards a new, I'm writing out a new setting, like mini setting. 
Uh, and I want to start like a new mini campaign. So I've been working on that. It's kind of like a uh, superheroes in an alternate history, uh, age of sale kind of deal. Um, Ooh, cool. That's what I've been working on. But that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, that sounds exciting. That sounds exciting. Yeah. So, so it looks like we have a lot of holiday fun and a lot of work to be doing over the uh, the fun holiday that is Halloween. And then we get into the rest of the holiday season. And so I'm sure we'll have some interesting stuff to talk about there, too. So tonight, um, interesting enough, we are not going to do a cool stuff found. And I think part of the reason is character backgrounds, this particular topic is very rich. Rich, 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 with lots of interesting stuff you can talk about. And we figured, why not dedicate the whole time that we had to running through this topic. And fortunately, we have Eric to take us through and be our master of ceremonies. So let's get to that main topic. Welcome to main topic. Hey, Eric, go ahead and take <laughs> it away. All right. So today we're talking about character backgrounds. Um, I think the first thing to do, even though we probably don't need to, is just define what is a character background or a character backstory. Um, and I think, you know, easiest explanation I, to think of is this is the, you know, what your what your character was doing before they've arrived at this adventure. This is a either long or short summary of uh, kind of their life and events that have led them to this point. Um, uh, cool. So that's the, you know, basic, uh, explanation. And I think we'll talk about here, like the purpose, what's, what's the main purpose? And this will be short and then we'll get into it. Um, so first the purpose for a player and it's pretty much what I said, the purpose for a player is, you know, it's to give them their character more depth. It's to give, it's to give the GM things to work with. Um, uh, you know, it just it just makes characters more three dimensional, and it might change some of the decisions that you've made once you start working through these things. Um, so it just flushes out for you. Anything you guys want to add as far as purpose for a player, or that pretty much sums it up. I think that I think that does a great job of uh, hitting the points that are critical, right? I mean, you're okay. you're building something that helps the GM build something for you, and you're making something that lets you play that character and, and make it real in your own mind. Um, so that yeah. you can make it real at the table for everyone else. Yeah. And, and they're often emergent, too. Like, sometimes I would make a backstory and things might get added to it as I'm playing. And, you know, the idea I had for a character in the beginning might shift to somewhat how I act them out because of the backstory and when I actually write it. So um, it can definitely be like a transformative experience. Um, and now purpose for a GM. So I'll throw it to you, uh, James. What do you think the main purpose is here for a GM? How, what do GMs get out of this? Uh, well, GMs get everything out of a character's <laughs> backstory. I, I absolutely adore them. I think they're really, really critical. Um, if if you're doing what the, the latest, the, what the trend is really, which is character-driven stories in your role-playing game, so where the the actual character drives the plot in a lot of ways, um, then the backstory for me is that where the rubber hits the road. You may have come up with your, your um, campaign idea. You may have your great plot. But it's the character backstory that will help define some of the detail and gives you the launching pad, the starting point in which to begin your campaign, where you can settle it in and you can root it in to, uh, to a specific character or characters and get that story really going. So the purpose of a character backstory for me is the starting point for your entire campaign. I think they're really, really important. 
Uh, and Carl, on top of that, do you find that often when you start reading these character stories that it can change the narrative you've been working on or tweak it in certain ways? Absolutely. I, I think that was one of the points I was going to make is it brings those ideas for stories to to light where I might not even have thought that that was part of the campaign. For for example, the one, Eric, you're in now where the couple of folks had a truck and they were trying to fix yeah. it. The campaign, as it was defined, and this was actually a plot point campaign by Pinnacle, that's not part of it. But boy, does it add some some depth and some interesting storylines that you can go address and take on even while you're going through the main plot. It gives something that is just it, it feels so much real now that all the players have kind of their ideas being brought in. So I, I think it gives a game master story ideas that you don't have to invent because the players are inventing them for you. Very cool. Uh, anything to add, James? You want to move on to the next subject? I have got so much to add, but we'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll wait till the jam starting yeah, point. Okay. Yeah, okay. let's wait okay. for the jam section. I've got so much. I can, I'll right. talk for an hour uh, on this alone. We don't want to yeah, jump the gun. We don't want to jump the yeah, gun. Yeah, we okay. we'll have a big section on the player creation and uh, utilizing them as a jam. So let's just move very quickly on to the kind of main formats um, that I've seen or I've done. Um, I, I think you have... You, what the first kind of format people think of is just the, is just the narrative style, the story style. This is just like mm -hmm. if you were to write a, a sh either short or long kind of a novel, a, a, you know, a mini novella about this <laughs> character. Um, and it Once kind of upon just a time, a farmer was in the field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, but it's from you know, yeah, yeah. What perspective it's from? But it just kind of it, it just kind of flows through. Um, and then we have a bullet point style, which is kind of where you almost just utilize bullet points and really do like here's this, here's this. Well, so it's similar. It's still narrative, but you're breaking it up more um, and then there's a kind of a combination because some of the bullet points bullet point styles I've seen have been like very matter of fact um, personally and it personally I like it when it's bullet point but you still have some of the the narrative in there you still have it's not so like mechanical if that makes sense um, I think for me I started with a story, like just doing a story. And I started making backgrounds that were very short. And then increasingly they got longer and longer and longer. And it became cumbersome to pretty much me and the GM. And then I switched to a bullet point style. And I think it's much more effective. Um, and then let's talk about short versus long. So on that note, um, what do you guys think is the good, like, you know, a paragraph, a page? Do you like if people would make multiple pages? Or so where is your kind of ideal sweet uh sweet spot? Oh, James, I'll throw it to you first. Where's your ideal sweet spot here? I I've seen them all. I've had I've had backstories of two sentences and my yeah. the the latest longest one was 17 pages. Oh which I God. don't encourage players to do. Um <laughs> Uh, for me, it's a page or two, probably two pages if at, at a maximum. And that combination of dot points with a little bit of narrative that might explain the feelings of the character to the events that have happened. The important thing for me is as, as, a, as a games master is that they are easily referenced so I can pick it up and yes. quickly, quickly um, make use of it while we're playing the game. So while I'll absolutely use it to design the campaign, just something that I can quickly bring up as a reference document, find that name, find that place, find that, uh, that event within the story's uh, the character's life that lets me use it quickly. And I find, so in my preference, it's it's dot points because I can find them quick and I don't have to read through yeah. the text um, and a couple of pages maximum just so that it gives me enough to work with but enough space to create a game around, if that makes yeah. sense. Carl, what about you? 
I'm almost going to cop out with it depends. Um, so if the purpose, mm-hmm. so if the purpose of the backstory is to make the character real in your mind and, and flesh out who they are and to give the game master some pieces that they can take and use narratively or build a campaign around, it should be that long to get those apart or get those across and no longer. So if, if for what we're yeah. trying to accomplish is a page because the character is kind of simple in who they are, fine. If they're a little more complicated and part of that is I do need two pages for me as the player to understand who they are, but I still only have a few lines or maybe a paragraph of the things that a game master can pick up, so be it as well. So it's really, you got two goals. What are you going to do to get those goals? Now to go like what, what James mentioned is I prefer kind of the bullet point style when you get to the call to action right because yeah, yeah here's yeah. the call to actions for the game master please please take these items and do something with them i'm begging you so if there's a bullet items they're very easy to get to because you know 17 pages you mentioned i, I can guarantee you i'm not going to read that and you know i have a hard enough time reading one page now when i create my own yeah i, I pretty much it's almost bullet point maybe it's a a sentence or two or a paragraph that says, here's the character, here's where they came from. And you know, that's it. And then bullet points up, please game master, use these. And that might be because I'm a game master. It's right. Just here, I'll give you exactly what you need because yeah, yeah, I want yeah, yeah. to, I want to do that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you guys completely. I mean, like even as a player, I kind of shifted into the bullet points and even, even as a player, I highly recommend most people to try it, even if you like writing the long kind of narrative story ones, because it really does help you break the backstory down without kind of, because it's not, we're not writing a novel here, right? We're writing a character backstory. So the bullet points really help you structure the the story you have in your mind and, and helps you kind of get to the juicy parts, because that's what really matters. That's what matters to you, and most importantly, it matters with the GM. And personally, even how I do it is all, I'll like write a title like the beginning and then I'll have the beginning. And then the next bullet point will be like, you know, um, uh, the the village got burned down and then it will be like that. So I really kind of break it down almost like chapters um, just just to make it even easier to reference for everybody involved. So I highly recommend bullet point style. And like you said, James, two pages maximum. And that's with even other stuff. I mean, you want to try to shoot around for a page, page and a half. Generally, that's the best kind of length, I think, as far as giving yourself enough stuff to work with and also not keeping it attainable uh, for the GM and the player. Okay, very cool. Let's move on to our big sections. The first one is we're going to talk about is player backstory creation. Uh, so right at the start of the gate, I mean, the most important thing, I think, for anything always is the elevator pitch. I mean, we talked about this as far as even writing a campaign. It holds true with characters. Um, And now this is not necessarily how you got to the idea of the character because some people want to play a certain type of character. Some people get a certain class they want to play. Some people want to, somebody wants to play as a certain, you know, race or ancestry, whatever. However you get to your character, the, the, the kind of the whole being, you want to have your elevator pitch, the kind of seed that can grow the rest of the story from. And that's really important to kind of distill it down to that elevator pitch. So say for my Cobalt in your campaign, James, right? It was like a, um, uh, a, a, a Cobalt, a smart Cobalt who escaped his caste system and was exploited by this, uh, exploited by this industrial um, system, but then found a friend, a PI friend. I'm kind of, 
I don't, found a friend, a PI friend that gave him new confidence and he's looking for him. His friend went missing and he's looking for him. So generally, you know, that's a pretty short thing that pretty much sums up most of his general stuff. And then I kind of worked from there. Um, so I think the elevator pitch, uh, just to think in your head before you writing it, is a really good way to kind of distill down what's the essence of this character. And then I want to get out. Um, I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that, but, um, well, I, I mean, that is, that is the basic and the basis of many discussions when they talk about building yeah. characters to start with, right? Start with a concept and sort of that summary of what is this person and where are they coming from? So I think that's, you've, you've nailed it, right? That that's one okay. of the important things to start with. Importantly, even in the elevator pitch though, you've provided some hooks, you know, yeah. there is a, there is a PI, uh, there is a mentor. And I will talk a little bit later about how it react, how it, how character backstories need to reflect the campaign themes. Yes. And again, you've picked that out. So, you, you know, so uh, referencing the industrial nature of a, a kingdom within their campaign and a, and a character motivation. So I think, yeah, perfect. Um, the elevator pitch, nice, succinct, distill the character down into a few sentences so that you can explain yeah. it to your, to your storyteller. I think it's really important. Yeah, you definitely want to root it into the, that's another thing with the backstory is you're really rooting your character into the game world. And that goes on to our next thing to talk about, which I think of as the next step. And this is not something that I've always done before, but now I do it. And I've definitely done it with both of you guys. And it's tremendous. And I think pretty much everybody should do this is that you, before you actually write the character background, backstory, have a discussion with your GM. Once you have the idea for your character, it is so much better to, to then bring it to the GM and be like, here's my idea for the character what do you think? Or where could this village that he's from be? Or where could they go here? Like if, you know, especially if you don't know all the lore of the world, I think this is a tremendous thing. Uh, so I'm just gonna throw it right to you guys, Carl. I mean, I've done it with both of you. So Carl, what, it probably doesn't happen to you all the time, but what do you think about discussing with a player, discussing with the GM from the player's side? <laughs> I, God, I wish that players would always do that. Yeah. Um, I think we've already established you many episodes of this podcast. I'm pretty loose <laughs> on, on you know, how I take care of it. But man, I don't know how often that players come with a backstory that completely is orthogonal to what you're trying, what your whole campaign is is about. Or yeah. they've already oh, yeah. saved yeah. the kingdom three times over, yet they're first level character. So I, I, the, the bottom line is you're absolutely right. The first thing you should do is once you have that concept, after you've got the concept and you say, here's how I think it's going to fit in the world, talk to the game master about how it fits in the world. And, and I even broaden that out to the, the party, right? Because altogether the party has a backstory to them that defines how they matter, whatever. That all has to be worked out in advance as well so that the party concept works with the player concepts um so yeah absolutely that, that's one of the number one things in my mind i'm pretty loose about it but i get burnt on it all the time so you yeah. know sometimes being too flexible is, uh doesn't help <laughs> yeah ab absolutely and and the the dialogue between storyteller and player prior to the campaign starting is is absolutely critical um I've, I've talked in the past about developing up your campaign premise and developing up your campaign pitch. In my mind, the character backstory is the player's response to that pitch. Yeah. So here I am. I'm going to prepare a world. Here's the world we're about to play in. Here's the overarching themes of the world. Here's some detail about some of the places that we're going to be rooting the campaign in. Here's some detail about a little bit of the history about what's happened in the past. Okay, go away. Go away and come back with a, with a character concept. And the character backstory 
is the player's opportunity to say, I like the world, I like your concept, here's what I've come up with that will fit into that world. And so in, in that dialogue's really, really critical. Yeah. Because if you give out a campaign idea to a player and they came back with the antithesis of that campaign and you haven't discussed it before you're, you sit down to play, you're in trouble from the beginning. You know, you need to be able, as a storyteller, you need to be able to say, hey, hang on a minute, like, the character doesn't quite fit in what we've talked about here. You know, you need to kind of pull that down. So discussing with the GM is really important. And it's at this point, too, that you can start to develop up how your how your character is rooted in that world. Give us the details at that point. Uh, you know, who are your parents that are absolutely still alive and are not dead because orphans <laughs> are boring? Uh, you know, here is the lost love that you, the, and your regrets, or in, in the case of one of my players, here's the seven ex-boyfriends that broke her heart <laughs> and uh, had to weave into the story. But, yeah, it's, it's I think that's a country song. That's a country song, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it should be. Uh, it definitely heart. should be. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and then, again, there's, uh, we're going to mainly talk about the player stuff here. So even from the player's perspective, I highly recommend people players to just before you write your backstory you know shoot out to the gm hey send the message or whatever i don't know what format you're on but uh hey i wanted to discuss a few things about the campaign and my character backstory and then they might not be used to this but it's so so helpful for yourself and just like as they were saying it's hard for the gm like if you create a backstory as a player and there's kind of uh friction with the gm because it doesn't quite fit it's it's not as fun so you'll have a better backstory and it will be a better experience for you the player if yeah. you've kind of bounced ideas off the gm and like james i mean i the idea for my you know i had that crazy talk about a crazy backstory <laughs> my crazy you know uh tiefling raised by dragon backstory that we had for that seafaring game and i shot it at you and then we discussed it and, and things changed right he had a different like i changed a little bit how i was looking at him and, and there was shift that happened and it was probably over it was overall more satisfying his like way that something that happens so even i'm saying even as a player there's huge benefits here well um like, even just to mesh with the gm so the yeah. yeah the game master is not going to pick up on those bullet items you want them to pick up on if there's not some buy-in on their part right we talk yeah. about players have to buy into the campaign well the game master has to buy into your backstory or you're not going to get what you want out of that um and now we're going to talk more about creation but i just wanted to throw a quick question in you know since we're we're on the mics. How much of this is a session zero kind of conversation? And how much of this is before we get there? Now, you know, again, I'm setting aside, we're going to talk in depth about how we create these backstories, but how much of that is something that you have a conversation when everybody's at the table during that session zero, thinking about how they're creating their characters and that sort of thing? I'm curious. Um, I think session zero is a good time for maybe elevator pitches or general concepts. Personally, when I'm like in a session zero and I'm just learning everything, I'm not going to have my character really flesh out. I have to take some time on my own to think about it. Maybe other people can. I personally can't. So for me, this would not be something I discuss with the GM when everybody else is involved. Maybe I might ask them some things like, oh, about this town or this town. But I, but personally, I still think this, was, this would be a time where I go back on my own, you know, uh, ruminate more about my idea and then hit the GM a private conversation Um so that's for me would be that way. But yeah, you can still ask questions, obviously, in a session zero. I tend to run with session zero is 
the discussion. It is that conversations because ideally I've already sent information out to my players prior to the session zero. So the session zero is the time to ask those questions and potentially elevate a pitch your character concepts. Um, the detail and and the detail of the character backstory comes later. It becomes part of that that yeah. discussion that you have later. But the idea of hey, this is what I'm thinking. Does this work? Is a perfect time. Session zero is the ideal time for that in my mind. But that that's because I've already done the pitch i've already sent the the guide out for the campaign prior to the session zero so for uh, storytellers that are utilizing session zero as a way to actually pitch their campaign then it's not as easy for the players to actually respond like eric is saying well i i would, I would even say even on top of that james even if you have preset the information like you have there might be you know somebody like me who's who's not going to be distracted by other people in the group and also if i have stuff that i don't want other players to know but i want to discuss with the gm it's still going to be a side conversation so even as a gm don't, I, I would just say don't expect it all to get out in the session zero because there might be players who either can't or don't want to for whatever reason so don't expect they're all going to get everything out in the session zero because i don't think that's realistic um all the time at least yeah um, and the reason i anyways. asked is the session zero obviously you're bringing up some of your campaign concepts or, or yeah. you sent it out earlier and getting some of those elevator pitch back and forth i think what's important to me is that players know the constraints that i'm putting on um, yeah yes. so that when you go away to do your elevator pitch and turn it into something real a simple statement that you all know each other and you're all friends or you're all part of you know this particular thing you know you're all secret agents who can do secret agenty things should now that feeds into when you go away and do some of that work um there's not some you know square peg round hole kind of things happening so that's why I asked. So I'm glad that you it guys. Is, it is good some to ideas. get. It is good to get those basic concepts so that you can identify that five out of your six players are lone wolf orphans early. Yeah, so that's of always good to get yeah. that out of the way. Yeah. But there, but there's just going to be a lot of people who don't want to reveal it to the other players. I mean, that's just right because most games I'm in, I don't know what the other players' backstories are. I haven't heard it yet. So. Um, Cool. So you've had your elevator pitch. You've discussed with the GM. You have a general idea. So the first thing that's really important to focus on as a player, I think, is the main motivation you are there to join this adventure. What's what's the crux of it? You know, even more so than the elevator pitch. This is when you really have taken it down. Okay, I have the specific character. You know, the specific reason in mind to go adventuring in. You know, X campaign for whatever reason this is the main motivation i'm tying in so i need to get this is the end point of my backstory because after my backstory the, the campaign begins pretty much right so this is kind of the end point that you're working for it's a really good way to kind of frame it to work towards something um and then we have timeline of events where you actually start going through the timeline of events so do you guys have any any ideas here or tips here or when you guys were players how did make this uh james uh, the, the key for me is, um, as Carla said, you don't have to have saved the world three times before you actually yes. start playing. So <laughs> the key for me is if you think about, and again, I'll talk a little bit later when, we, when we're setting up for the story, is this is your hero's journey. This is this is the way that, that your hero hits, hits the world and is inspired in order to adventure. And so coming up with just some, a short number of events that might have triggered that desire to leave the Shire and go out adventuring is is kind of the key to it. It's what, what were the two or three things that have happened in your life that has made you want to engage with the campaign? And again, putting some detail around those. So, you know, and, and for me, whenever anyone writes a character backstory, all I ask for is names. 
names and places, please. If you're yes. going to say my father, then give me a name for your father. My my rival, give me a name for your rival. My lover, give me a name for your lover. It's that kind of put the details in at that point. But um, and and ultimately, motivation. Why is it that you're going out the door? Why is it you are, you want to set your shield against the world and and strive to make it a better place? It's the it's the critical thing in order to start. Yeah. Because of course, as the campaign goes. Those reasons will change. Your motivation may be undermined. You'll be challenged in your adventure. So knowing where you start, where the starting point is for the character is very, very important. Carl? Well, I, I think for myself, uh, I try to keep it simple in the sense of, uh, I think, James, you kind of hit it. Why am, what were the things that happened in my life that brought me to this stage? What were the defining moments? And one of those defining moments is, why do I want to go off into the world? Um, but at this point, I, I did want to bring up there, there's like books. I, 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 I'm like flabbergasted that there's books entirely on how to create your character and um, creating back backstories. Um, one of them is the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide by James D'Amato. And another one I happen to have is uh, Character Creation Guide by Kim Lombard. The reason I bring them up is they're interesting. They give you a lot of questions to think about, but my God, they're long. They're like, you know, 90 pages. <laughs> yeah. Come up with, yeah. <laughs> two pages of, of backstory. And they go into all sorts of things like, how does other people, if you were in a bar, how do other people perceive you? And that would help define your character in some way. Um, what are five lessons you've learned in your life that would define your character? So I, I bring it up because there, if you find these um, kind of books, and there's probably many of them, they're great places to get some ideas. But, oh, my Please don't go through them they're like a lot. they're a recipe because yeah. there's just too much there. And literally we're talking about, you guys said one and a half pages. And a lot of it's names, a lot of it's places, a lot of it's what can the GM do to um, make my life interesting. So I did want to bring that there are books. Um, they're just pretty heavyweight. So be careful. There are other tools down. as well. You can you can get template questionnaires online, and, the, and I've seen them many times, character creation questionnaires, which might have yeah. 20, 30, 40 questions that will help provoke thoughts about how you can both create a character backstory but equally importantly the role-playing element of your character so that you can start to get a sense of their hopes and dreams and fears and those kinds of things. So, yeah, there's plenty of resources out there. There's a whole industry around uh, character creation, which is quite extraordinary. But um, there's, e there's even I, like books that have rollable tables for. Oh, this is what happened in your past. This is what happened in your present. Yeah, now, yeah. those I definitely don't recommend. They are still a good way in your kind of elevator pitch. If you need some inspiration, maybe roll on a couple of those and use those as a as an example. But I wouldn't rely on those completely because you're just going to come out with an adventure that uh, backstory that doesn't fit the world that well. Um, yeah, James. Yeah, book, that's a good James DeMarco's yeah, James book has who, like a bunch of roll. Diamato? Yeah. It, yeah, it has. Yeah, I remember he was the one that we did um, uh, NPC cards. He was the same guy who yep, made yep. those and, that I did. And cool so he does on. some good stuff, but he has a lot of rollable tables in here too. That's the only reason I mentioned it yeah. again. So okay, very cool. So um, uh, in the timeline events, once you actually start writing this, this is a point when you want to, as a player, think of hooks now for the GM. Here's a really good time as you're writing it down. Uh, uh, you know, I, I forgot to put this in the outline, but. Um, this is a really good time to think about those hooks for GM. And and what are the hooks? I mean, the main hooks you always think about are are rivals, you know, lovers. Um, these these are the people or the like objects or the 
Yeah, but generally they're going to be people, right, that the GM can draw from. Th these are the main things that the GM will take from here. Um, either your relationships, whether they be good or bad, um, or, you know, you're on a mission to save some of them, or th they're coming for you, whatever it is, this is the time to really kind of think about to put hooks in. Now, the one thing here, just as you guys said, that to watch out for is don't, don't make yourself save the world three times over or do the most epic things. Don't give the GM too many hooks. Uh it's not, I, I would say, you know, keep it to these kind of main hooks that might, they might feed back into the story. You know, don't go over, I don't know, you guys are not have different opinions here, but I, I would say don't even go over like five, really. Like, or, like main even hooks. less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, e even less. But I'm just saying at the max five, right? I mean, I think a good place here is two to four, I think is a good sweet spot, right? I think those are the, the good, is that what you guys think? I'll just throw it to you guys well, now, Carl. Just prioritize, just like anything else. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have five, make sure that you have one or two that are the important thing that you really want. And just think about the, the three Fs, um, friends, family, foe, and how those yeah. are going to apply to what you're trying to accomplish. One or two, if you really, because remember there's five other players or six other players or four other players, and they're all going to have backstories too. And if everybody has 10 bullet items, never going to get to all of them. And the game master may do some minor point that wasn't all that important to you. And you're, the thing that was really important gets missed because you had just too much. So make sure you prioritize against friends. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with lots of detail. Like, you know, I'm happy that you give me the barkeep's name and the teacher that you grew up with. But in terms of story hooks... I can only really work with about three per player, really, to try and get it embedded into the yeah. story that, that you'll actually see within the game world. You know, the average player group is about five people, so we're talking 15 plot points that you need to kind of develop over a campaign on top of your actual um, on top of your actual game world. So, you know, three is probably the magic number, certainly no more than five. Yeah, and, and the only reason I brought up five as the maximum is because as a player, you don't necessarily know what the GM will grab onto. And I've definitely seen times when I've made hooks, even not that many, and the GM's just not going to pick up on them. He's not interested, they're not interested for whatever reason, or it doesn't fit the, where the narrative's going. So that's why I encourage you to do more than maybe one or two, maybe try to do three. But then as a player, if you do them more, don't expect the GM to use them. So don't be disappointed. So if you make more than three, don't expect them to use, you know, even all three of three or four, whatever. Um, so that that's a good, that's, that's the good kind of balance there is you want to make enough for the GM to kind of pick and choose the one he might really like, uh, but don't expect that they're going to use them all because that is, like you guys said, it's not very uh, realistic. Um, very cool. And then now well, we have kind of like well, dreams, one, hopes, ideals. Yeah, sorry. Well, I, just wanted, I just wanted to throw in there because when you're doing your plot hooks um, or you're trying to define them, really make sure you think about that there's a call to action. Um, it's easy to bullet point out something that you think is a plot hook, but it's not. Because you, you don't provide anything where the game master can latch on to. It's not really a hook. It's just something interesting. So just, so just think about yeah. how somebody would write an adventure around what you're saying. You don't have to write the adventure. But how would somebody pull that into something? And if you can't answer that question, then it's not really a plot hook. It's just an interesting piece of information. Uh -huh. That's a good point. Agreed. Yeah, and, and to keep them open is the important thing. You know, if in your yeah. backstory your plot hook is uh, some raiders destroyed my village, but I enacted a revenge and killed them all, 
that's not a that's not a plot hook. That's, yeah. that's just a thing <laughs> that happened to you. That's information. <laughs> that's interesting information. That's right. And, now, and if yeah. you now, did have, if if you wanted something like that, like you kind of fighting the raiders back and killing a lot of them, but you still wanted it to be a plot hook, have the captain leader. get away, yep. right? Yep. So yeah, you yeah, still yeah. have, yeah. you can still tie yourself in that, be part of the story, but then always have leave that out. So that, those are really good point, guys. I'm glad uh, glad you guys brought that up. Uh, okay, cool. So anything else? So let's talk about dreams, hopes, ideals, connections, flaws. I mean, these are the things that you see, say, on the 5e sheet, right? They're always there. And they're not something that people always utilize, but they are really good tools. You don't necessarily need them, um, but you can either – It's they're a good thing to think about and they're a good thing to maybe write down. Um, like Savage Worlds, right? Flaws are a part of the game and they're huge. So I definitely encourage you to think at least about the character's flaws when you're doing the backstory um, because – that will inform a lot of stuff. It'll inform your character a lot and then makes them more three-dimensional. Now, I don't necessarily think you have to write all of these before the backstory or after. You can kind of like maybe start with your ideas for some of these before and then it might change after you've actually written your backstory. But but I do think it's good to kind of have succinct, succinct, sorry, succinct, uh, you know, uh, dreams and flaws kind of spelled out because um, it just helps. What do you guys think about this? Well, uh, Carl. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry, sorry James. No, 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 it's fair. <laughs> so there's two. Well, there's there's two things we talked about, right? There's getting into your character's head, and there's providing things to the GM to use. So dreams, hopes, their ideals, what makes them a individual, right? What what makes them who they are is important for the player to be able to um, get into the head of their character. Connections and flaws and those things, the same same thing. But if you want those to be something the game master use, now, now again, they have to be, that dream has to be something that can be idealized and not just a dream. But I, I totally agree. You know, those are things that let you, as a player, get into the head of, of your character. And, and, you know, those hopes and dreams drive how you would react to any particular situation. I, I do love the the way that modern games and modern RPGs are now incorporating a lot of this into the character development side. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there are more and more pieces of slots on a character sheet where you can actually develop some of this stuff in. If you look at things like Bonds in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but there are also people and places in Call of Cthulhu. Um, and this is where your character backstory actually becomes tangible in a real way. In, in, yeah. in the game in the game itself call of cthulhu is a great example of this um in in call of cthulhu you have a a, a a thing called sanity which shows how how much of a grip on reality you have and the way you get your sanity back is by spending time with the people places and things that you care about and that are important to you and so by incorporating those things into a character backstory you get a nice even nature to your character and so um i love the way that this is starting to develop and it it, it provides great pointers for role playing and a really rich uh drawing pot for for storytellers to to add to their story so a lot of absolutely the... dreams hopes bonds ideals connections great things to add yeah, a lot of the newer storytelling kind of games, like PBTA-style games, they actually spend time on questions. You know, the player to the left. Yeah. What was the time questions. when you got together, you were in, you know, you were together and solved a problem? Player to the right. What, you know, what rivalry did you guys have back? And, and all and, and, you know, the Power by the Apocalypse kind of games, they always have a theme to them, right? It might be a superhero game, so it might be, hey, when were you a rival at the Superhero Academy? And then that would start, building up a shared backstory between the players. But those kind of questions are starting to be more common be as we try to 
Um, you know, again, modern games, you're not just stats who are walking through a dungeon, obviously, right? It, it's a completely different feel yeah. to everything. Cool. Um, and then we're going to move on to the big question. I'll just ask you as a yes or no. Uh, do you always need tragedy, James? <laughs> I'm going to start. You can't make me say yes or no to that. Absolutely not. I can't stand orphans. Well, uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's an interesting thing. About, I, I have a take on this. Uh, Carl, what do you think? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more. I just wanted to frame only, it this way. Only, sir, only um, uh, certain people talk in absolutes. And I don't want to copyright <laughs> right. fringe. Oh, so. that is the good answer. Because here's what I'll throw back at you guys. Do, do you always need to be orphans? No. Do you always need tragedy? Uh, yes, because every no. – hold on, James. Everybody has no. tragedy. And that's you know every person, right? Everybody has a story and everybody has suffering. It's not always equal, but it's always valid. So whatever character you have, you know, if you have a character that's the most – just living the most pompous life possible, the most easy life possible, has nothing ever go wrong with them. They have a great relationship with everybody. They're probably not going to be adventuring and they're probably going to be pretty boring. So while, while you don't need to have – yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I set you up. I set you up. We'll bounce back at you. I, I, I just think it's because when you hear tragedy, people think it's either orphans or not, you know. But I think that there's, there's my main point for setting it up this way is that there's a lot more subtlety to, in, to you can have with your tragedy. There's a lot more um, intricacies. There's a lot more interesting takes you can have besides just everybody died and I'm an orphan and that's my story. So sorry, James, I'll throw it to you. I know you're bar- rearing to talk and to rip me a new one. Uh, James, take <laughs> I, I have an entirely different take. I find okay. orphans terrible. They're yeah, boring, I'm- boring, boring, boring. The reason why is I love the drama to happen in the game. So the idea of being a pompous, looked-after fool that's never had to adventure in their life as the starting point to the campaign I actually find really cool because then the trials and tribulations gives that player something to complain about, like, where's my servants? What's going on? Uh, you get to actually play that part of the journey. And, and, and for me, the idea of I'm an orphan, I'm alone, everyone's died, I have no connection and, and, I, and I care about nothing is the most singular, boring backstory I can come up with. I, I absolutely despise them. And For sure. Ironically, yeah. ironically uh, I, I once put it out to a group. I think you were playing in that group, Eric, where I said, please, no orphans. And I got four out of five people with yeah. tragic orphan backstories back. And I find them boring. They're really hard to do because um, you want a living cadre of supporting characters in your game. And the only way you can have that is if you're still around them, if you're still living those lives. And so the idea of, a, of an orphanless world in, as a starting point, I, I find really appealing. Sorry, I think very strongly on that. No, 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 that that is a Sorry, Carl, go on. Well, I was going to, I was just going to jump in when tragedy is a strong word, right? So you're saying everything needs to have a tragedy. No, you, you need something that's driving you to, you know, the hero's journey, right? There's, there's something that sets the journey off and it doesn't have to be a tragedy. It just may be somebody deciding they need to do something for some reason. Um, And, you know, let's let's be honest. A lot of people have bad things in their lives, but it's hard to call them tragedies. They're just they're just things that that's trigger true. your reaction. Yeah. So um, that's why I said, you know, it's not absolute, um, and that's a strong word. I don't think it's always necessary. And even the tragedy doesn't have to be orphanage that you're an orphan. And, you know, it could be you lost your cat. Well, okay, that's is that really a tragedy, or is that just something that's driving you to take some action? 
So anyway, yeah. you can play I, a character by someone who's plagued and overreacts to first world problems. It's like, my <laughs> well, God, my but, flask won't open. <laughs> but well, let's well, let's talk about that because I, I want to <laughs> revisit those things you brought up, James. Like. Uh, on that note, like that pompous person, while maybe they've had this rich life, they can still have, you know, a str- their, their parents were distant. And even though they were rich, right, and there wasn't like they didn't abuse them, they could be extremely distant and critical of them. And that's so they were always under somebody's shadow or something. And they were always, you know, oh, yeah. overreacting because of that. So I still think I what I meant is that even though when we think of maybe like, oh, an adventurer needs something where, you know, they need to have a background where they have some type of suffering or whatever, it doesn't always have to be like the physical death of everyone around them. There, there can be these more subtle things like they were, even though they grew up in a palace full of people, they were very isolated because of the, you know, how the parents were and blah, blah, blah. And it, it, they could still be like, where's my servants? Because they're used to that life. But they still have Perfect. this vo- the void they're always trying to chase. You know what I mean? So. I just wanted to extrapolate more on how you can have a lot of depth with how we look at like, well, how is my character screwed up? Because let's, let's be honest, screwed up, screwed up people, they're just going to be more interesting. Uh, and that's can usually adventurers, they have something going on that, that can be screwed up. And they can still be pompous. They can still be like complaining. They can still be new. They can still be a fish out of water. But they still have something in their background that, that gives them some depth. And on, on the orphan note, I still think orphans can work. Well, I agree with you. I think it's bad that people just go to that. But when an orphan you know, if you're an orphan but you were adopted, say I'm defending myself here, right, a little bit, because I had a character <laughs> whose parents died, but that was really a vehicle for me to get – I wanted him to have a connection with dragons, so he was raised by dragons. So while he was an orphan, he wasn't really because he was adopted by dragons, and that was his close relationship. So, yeah, absolutely, you need to have relationships with people, give you stakes, they, they give a character depth. You should always have relationships no matter what, uh, whether they be good or bad. I mean it's always good to have a mix. But if you have an orphanage, you know, these are crazy fantasy worlds. Sometimes you you might need to use the vehicle of, you know, your parents died to then say, in the example of you were raised by a different species or a weird race, right? That's no, still, to no, me, you're just that justifying still be being an orphan now. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. I, I, I'm saying that, you know, they have adopted parents doesn't really mean you're an orphan, is my point, right? Because you have a family, you have a mother, you have a father. So it doesn't always have to be. Um, uh, the, the orphan thing has become such the like dirty wor- world in no. how, how, many movies, how many this movies is the, have the that? words of the desperate <laughs> how many, okay how many well movies? here we'll disagree because I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing is uh, I, yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. I think having characters with challenges and adversity is very important. Having yeah. tragedy is not so important. Yes. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I take back my use of the word tragedy. This uh, is, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this is where we talk about strong opinions. Okay, to continue yes. with the show. <laughs> uh, anyways, I think we'll move on to just the final part of this, which is a kind of miscellaneous tips for, for people, for players making their backstory. Um, one thing that I've done that I think is a really good way, and maybe this is just my personal and you guys will jump back at me if you think it's good. But one thing that I always do um, is I'll make a key. And so when I'm writing my backstory, I'll often bold Either a, a somebody, a person's you know name who's really important to my character, or a place that's really important uh, within the kind of you know I use bullet points. So within the within within the bullet points, um, I bold those names, and then I have a little thing at the end that I say key, and I say like you know Sir Henry Willingsmith, and then that character, and then I just do a l- little quick like the father of my character, blah blah blah, and then I might have like these people, these are the adventures he ventures with, just just a really quick thing that either you as the player or you as the GM can reference, and you also see like when you look at the story, those names are bolded so you can see where they take place in the story. I think it's a really good way. 
especially if you write longer backstories. It's a really, really good tool to kind of help you quickly reference these characters, uh, who they are, and then where they take place in your background story. Um, so I think that's a huge tip for me. Um, uh, Carl, do you have any tips as far as players making backstories that we haven't covered already? Well, well, the first thing is I think all backstories should be written as either a sonnet or a poem. If, if you're not doing that, you're obviously doing that wrong. Yeah, you're in the wrong. Yeah, a haiku. You're, you're, yeah, a yeah. haiku. There you go. <laughs> talk about a short. Talk about short. Uh, short background backstory and uh, a haiku. But um, I, no, I, I think for me it's very, very simple. As as a player, it's keep it simple. Keep it very on point. What do I need? And this goes back to saying, just do what you need without more. What do I need to understand my character enough to play it? And what things can I give to the game master to use? Even and even like Eric, you're talking about, you know, you're you're bolding. Here's this person. He's my father. Here's this person. Yeah. But that doesn't have a call to action, right? You still have to write this person is, you know, has some kind of issue or something that may drive a call to action of the game master. So, you know, again, breaking, don't make it just interesting information. It has to be something actionable to use a business term. James? And my tip is when that thing is actionable, please remember what you've written. Uh, If you're a player, make sure you go back and review your backstory as the campaign unfolds. There's nothing more more disappointing for a storyteller when you say, and the mysterious creature in the corner (laughs) unveils himself as this guy, and the player looks at you and goes, sorry, who? (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's your guy and yes, it's like, yes no make sure that you go back and have a bit of a look at it every now and then um, and, and so would, at least you can remember what your backstory happened. was yeah. about yeah I've yeah i've seen on. that happen too and that's why i think a key is really important for the player even not even for the gm like for myself i've gone i have my backstory up i'll look at my key i'll be like oh yeah that person that person i have their names if a, G, if a gm asks me something i have their names completely at the ready um so i think it's a really good way and then the one final thing tip kind of that uh uh, that if you have, say, like you made a faction in the game or you have a village, if you wanted to have more information, but again, we want to keep our backstories within that page, two, di- two page, page and a half, you can always have your main bullet points, have your key, and then maybe you can separately have a little blurb on your village where you get more into your village or have a little blurb about this faction that the, your character's involved in. You know, you can you can extrapolate on these things, just separate them from the main body of the backstory so it doesn't become cumbersome uh, as far as you and the GM, you know, looking at stuff, uh, but then you can still flesh out these things if you want. Just keep them separate. So I, I wouldn't say be afraid to do that. Like in our case, you know, with Esmeralda, and you brought her up, right? Like she has all these relationships. I don't know how she did it, but I would assume that like she had her main backstory and then separately she had her like, oh, here's my web of suitors and ex-suitors. So yes. y- you can still elaborate. And we and then I think as GMs, we encourage you to elaborate if you want to just absolutely keep them separate from the main body of the backstory uh yeah so anything at else between you guys we want to talk about as far as players before we move on to gm section i just want to make sure no that offense. when when you're doing when you're doing the new village when you're saying yeah. you got a village or something again it goes back to just make sure the game masters yeah you know in in the know, in the know. and you guys yeah. are collaborating on 
on these things. Of because, course, I meant with it with the yeah. GM's you know permission that you could create a village. Right, okay, right. let's move on to utilizing backgrounds as a GM. Uh, first thing we'll start is how do you help a player w with the background creation when they come to you saying, "GM, I have this idea." How, how do you kind of what's what's your little tips? What, how do you break it down for them, um, Carl? Well, I, I think we've already everything we've covered with respect to working with the game master okay. and you as a game master understanding what you're trying to accomplish, meeting the player halfway and understanding what they're trying to accomplish. Without giving your your what you're trying to do away, just recognizing that hey, I may have an NPC that I'm thinking of or somebody, or I understand how my world's going to move in a certain direction. And if the player is, is bringing something to the table that might fit into that mold, you can work with them and say, Oh, I get what I'm trying to accomplish. And this person is saying, my father, you know, runs the big corporation. Oh yeah, I've got a corporate. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's work with him on making sure that corporation that he belongs to fits into that overall narrative. Cause then it makes it easy for me to bring it in. It's not separate. So I think it's important, at least for me as a game master, to come and understand my what I'm trying to accomplish enough that I yeah. can help guide the players as they're saying, here's my background, so that it, it will fit in like a good puzzle piece, and I'm not mm -hmm. later trying to... Obviously, it's driven by the characters, right? And things can change on a minute's notice. We're not writing a novel. All that, all that caveats or all that provisos there or whatever... But in the end, it's nice to have these things fit together nicely because then it's natural as as these things come up. Yeah, James, any, what's is, your take that, on this? That, that is the absolute key. Uh, when I when you're preparing a campaign, I guess in my mind, I, I like to divide it into th uh, thirds. The first third is your campaign world, understanding who the kings and the kingdoms are and all the different political machinations and where the monsters live and there's the forest and here's the river and all of those elements. Then you've got your plot of your game, the actual narrative that you want to be telling. And both of those things change with the light when the last third hits the ground, which is the character concepts. And the, the way that the characters express their background is them expressing how they want to fit in with your world. And so in a lot of ways, it's having a reasonable understanding about those first two thirds so that when you start your conversations with your players, you get an understanding about how you can alter your world slightly or how can you place the characters within that world exactly as Carl was saying. You know, I want to be this guy. Okay, well, here's some detail that you can have for free now. Yes, that will work because there's this kingdom. Does that suit with what you're thinking? And you start that to and fro to try and nestle these beautiful characters snugly into the world that you're trying mm. to create. So do you have any extra any extra tips on actually, you know, utilizing that stuff and putting it into the narrative? James? Uh, there's lots, really. For, okay. Look, for me, for me, these games are, are story, character-driven games. And so utilising the, the character backgrounds is really, really important. They, In my mind, they become absolutely in the forefront of a lot of what I create when I'm initially creating my story concepts for the first few sessions. Um, I always love to latch on to one, maybe two characters and their background stories as the lead into the campaign, I find that that's the uh, the smoothest way to tie in backgrounds directly in. You literally start with one of the characters' background plots and drive that through the first few sessions of narrative. What it does, it it, it shows your players that you're uh, respecting the work that they've already done, and it 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 
it responds to the creativity that you've already been provided and it lets all the players see that yes if you put in the effort you're going to get mm. rewarded by these elements being in the story and so the trick is then how do you maintain it so that everyone gets included in that but i i like to drive it um directly right from the beginning grab one of those character backgrounds that you love the idea with and start the story with that i think it works really really well and you tend to kind of work through each player right you don't you don't like to combine them all at once you like to work through one at a time generally yeah i like to i like to give each player's background and each player's concept the room to breathe if you're trying to jam all five backgrounds into the same opening sessions you uh, they often you'll often miss the mark and sometimes character backgrounds are deliberately uh, offset with the world a little bit in that they yeah. don't exactly fit in with the opening scenario so you can draw them in lately uh, I like to look at um, seasons in terms of my game so like a like a television series season where you might have one or two of the character backgrounds and the character concepts in uh, in, in first and foremost up front and the others you kind of drip feed with a few little details but then let every player's story take the rise as you go through different seasons of the of the game um it's kind of how i operate but do, do you ever um, save some of the like you know hooks so you kind of put them in later so it's not just like one character's done or do you tend to get through all of them at kind of one area oh no absolutely yeah you're spreading them out throughout the entire okay. campaign um i've got uh, in the in the campaign I'm running with you guys, we've got four players. Yeah. We've been running, uh, you know, well over, you know, well over a couple of years now, um, and uh, we haven't hit half them. So it's it's you, you drip feed them <laughs> out and, and give them the, the the respect that they deserve. Um, Very cool. That way, the unveiling the the secret mysterious stranger in the corner. Two years later, it's still <laughs> oh my god, it's oh him finally. God, it's him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl, any any tips here? Well, so. So from when I'm doing this, I, I recognize that there's a natural ebb and flow to how things mm -hmm. are, are going. So you may quickly have a couple of things related to your backstory or what you want as far as a hook, but then those naturally will settle a little bit. And then someone else's character can take more of the spotlight with their story. Um, you know, for example, in the game we're in, you, you had one of your main elements was there's a, a uh, in one of the towns, there's a guy who owns a casino that you've wronged. Yeah. Right, right away, I I brought that to the forefront with one of the bad, you know, some of the guys who work for the bad guys coming after, and you heard the name, and you went, "Oh, wait, I know that guy." But there was a natural flow. You weren't going right after him right away. You set that aside as you had other problems to solve, and so we could focus on some of the backstory of the other players uh. and things that they want. And when I'm writing. And I'm probably not as good as I'd like to be, but as I'm going through the story and as there's things coming up, I look at things like an NPC. Is this NPC, could they be a friend, foe, or family yeah. re representing this person? Yeah. So, you know, especially if you're running pre-made adventures um, and there's like, you know, this is the Duke so-and-so and he's, well, wait a second. Didn't one of the players say that they had somebody they knew who might be royalty? Maybe this should be that person. Um, a, a couple of other things I really want to be clear too is, you know, players are invested in their backstory. So really understand what's sacred. We didn't talk about that at all. So make sure with your players, you understand what's sacred because nothing sucks more than having, you know, like my father is off limits. You know, I'm not an orphan. My father's off limits. I didn't say it. And then suddenly the game master came along and, oh, by the way, your father was killed. Now let's go and avenge your death. If that's a sacred cow, you just be sure you understand those um, because that yeah, that can really yeah. make a player just like 
crestfallen that something that was important to them has now been pulled away, um, even though they didn't say you couldn't. Mm. Um, just be be sure that you understand that. Um, and and that's funny. The uh, in Call of Cthulhu, you can actually nominate. You tick a box that says this is the one you're not allowed to kill. Um, so yeah, it's a good. Maybe that's something to include. I'd never considered that before. The sacred cow of your character. What is the thing that you don't <laughs> want challenged and destroyed? Um, you know, you can deliberately say, I don't want to be an orphan, which I think is a great idea. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> Again, adopted does not mean you're an orphan. Anyways, uh, doesn't mean you're an orphan. Uh, but I want to just hit back, right, we, before we, just, we were talk, still talking about this, uh, mostly as a player, that, that there's a really good point you guys are making. And, and, and I say as a player, there's nothing more unsatisfying as having something from your background being th- thrust right away and being resolved right away. It's just it's just like, oh, that was it. Okay, I guess that's over. Like, I've had that happen where a GM is just like, here's an enemy that you have. The second session, you're fighting him. Oh, and he didn't get away. You defeated him. It was like, okay, you just my, randomly. My life, I just, my life happens. work is like, over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if it's not the main thing, it was still, like, very unsatisfying. So I think, you know, like, foreshadowing, stretching it out, and... Um, uh, yeah, and, and like, and like, also like, if a character like, don't don't take away that character's thing so completely. You want to have a nice, satisfying arc with them. So something also to look out for too is that if they have, you know, like say an addiction, right? Say in a fantasy world, and that that addiction comes from something. Don't give them like say a a, a, a never ending bottle of alcohol if they're an alcoholic, right? That's just going to kind of like kill a lot of their character's motivation for getting from town to town. I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything. Uh, so yeah, don't don't give them something that just you know. Uh, that just solves their problem or gives into something like that just completely. You know, you always want to uh, let those things breathe and and have come to satisfying conclusions. Um, so very good tips from you guys. And that was the next thing we we're going to talk about were player character back uh, background characters, how to kill them. I think we covered this. I mean, yeah. So when you have these characters uh, from a player's background, how do you quote unquote kill them or do whatever to them? How do you, how do you change important parts of, of, of a player backgrounds? Um, uh, a player background. Um, I think Carl, you brought up a really good point. Uh, you want to have those sacred things. Any other tips here? I mean, it doesn't always have to be killing them, right? It can be other things too. So, James, when you really want to like mess with something, do you? Is there any things that you do here? Are there any steps that you take, or you just kind of go for it? What do you do? Messily and heroically is the two words <laughs> okay. that I come up with. Uh, if you're going to no, uh, look these these moments where the backstory is incorporated into the game in that tragic in and now we can use tragedy because we're playing the game. They they are the ultimate character motivating moments in the game. If you're talking about the the hero's journey, these are the revelations. These are the the full challenges. And so I try and give them as much dramatic space as you possibly can. If you are going to challenge a backstory element and potentially kill it off, and this will be the defining moment to motivate that character against your villain or against the plot. So uh, use them well. Use them well. Use them sparingly and making them a big deal when they happen. Don't, don't do it just... On the off cut. Having said that, a, a, a stark, unexpected destruction of a background that happens out of nowhere when no one um, is is, yeah. uh, is is expecting it can be a harrowing experience for, for for all players involved. So make it dramatic, make it messy, and then uh, you can make them an orphan. At that point, you can be an orphan. I'm fine <laughs> would you that. ever consider like touching bases with the player on the like? Uh, hey, is it cool if I you know? Pr- destroy everything in whatever way i think that there's always good there's depends on 
on the nature of the game and the nature of the character and then, of course, your relationship with the player. Um, I think that if, depending on what it was, you go back to your first principles of your session zero, of what's off limits, where the consent is and and, and dealing with that. Um, there's always, there's absolutely room for a check-in after the fact, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tricky. If you want to maintain a surprise and you want to maintain a dramatic moment, uh, I often wouldn't give them a heads up. But then again, if it was a challenging moment on something a player had already identified that this is a challenge, then absolutely check in. Absolutely make sure that that's okay. But um, but that's that's a broader discussion about yeah. about um yeah. about session zero and math and veils and things like that. Um, but yeah, uh, I like the surprise tragedy. It's always good fun. <laughs> it always gets people motivated. It is. It does. Carl, anything else to add on here? You talked about it a little bit, but I don't know if you had anything else to no, add. No, I on think the he, I, I don't think I have anything particular for for this line item in addition okay. to what I've already mentioned. Uh, okay, so the final thing here to talk about, and we'll of course go to a final thoughts, but um, let's talk about a little bit background secrets. Now, these are either. What, when I think of this, I either think of, you know, the player to GMs being like, hey, I, I don't want to know what's happened in this, you know, instant. I don't know who it was or whatever. Um, either that's one of the type of secret or the GM yourself, you know, kind of makes, oh, I see a connection here that they don't know about in, in their background. So how do you, you know, handle these two different types of scenarios, Carl, or, you know, anything about these? Um, well, if there's secrets that are taking place kind of off camera, um, or in those, the past, or in the past, those yeah. those links are exciting, right? Um, because the player doesn't know that they exist, and there's an aha moment. Um, the the only thing again is there's the sacred, you know, the the sacred cow thing. If there's secrets that would kind of destroy, you know, some concept that the player had that was defining. If you think that's going to happen, you really ought to talk to them. Just like if you were revealing one of their secrets to the rest of the players, I think you should talk to them, to be honest, and make sure that they're yeah. they're okay with that if it's like something very, very important to them. Um, but, I mean, it's fair game. If it's happening off screen and it makes an interesting revelation, I don't think you need to to get too worried about it. I mean, that's the whole point, right? These actions mm. and connecting them. That's that's part of the game, right? You connect all these dots together and let the player go, aha, I see that. Now, if that's, you know, they were killed, their parents are suddenly killed by somebody that they didn't think would kill them and it's a 24-hour moment, okay, well, that that's that's good too, I guess. So, um, But my big thing is don't reveal secrets unless everybody's on the same page. Player secrets, not campaign secrets that tie things together. Those are fair game, I think. Yeah, yeah and I and I don't always mean here that like, you know, the secrets that the player knows about their character. This could also be like you the as a GM, you have things about their background that you're keeping secret from them. So, uh, I don't know if James, do you have any thoughts on this subject? Yeah, the tr- the trick here is that the when you unveil the answer to the secret that people understand the connection. So, yeah. uh, I've got a I've got a player in our game who does not know uh, who their mother was. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so has, was raised by a father, has no idea who their mother was, which has been the, the cornerstone of that character's backstory yeah. And, yeah. and background. And so if you are not drip-feeding potential mothers throughout the course of the story, <laughs> yeah. then when you say, I'm your mother, they go, oh, great, okay, finally, that's solved. Like unless you have to create the mystery around the secret yeah. um, and, and that takes time. And so try not to do too many of those in the one campaign is what I, I'm recommending because uh, it is tricky to actually unveil a secret, a, a secret that the player wanted unveiled. You have to be yeah, quite no. diligent about it and you have to give enough options that it becomes a mystery rather than just, a, well, okay, there's the answer. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But there was an example the player asked you, said, this is a secret from me that I want you to solve. Well, that that's yes. that might be because yeah. in this example, um, in Quinn's example, right? Uh, did, did did Jared come up to you and be like, "This is my character concept"? When he's talking to you, yeah. uh, he's raised by his dad. He doesn't know who his father, mother is. You come no, up with whatever, yeah. And you were like, "Yeah, on board." Very cool. On board, so it, and then created an entire plot of an entire <laughs> campaign around it. So it was great. And so I think the main tip here is like, if if you have too many players wanting to do this, you you have to kind of put a stop on it and be like, you know, we already like I am not going to be able to give you the fulfillment that you want because I'm already. So I, I think here as a GM, be honest with your players if you don't think you can either provide like a or you know a good thing or just be honest about that. Be like, I'm not going to really be able to go too much into this, or I already have too much of this on my plate, right? That's a reasonable thing to think to say as a GM, right? We want to yeah, give everybody absolutely. the expectations I, I, they want. Yeah. yeah. I find the other problem sometimes happens, which is not all the players give you ideas. And so you end up having one or two players that drive the narrative because they gave you that call of action and everyone else are sort of, okay, well, I'm a guy and, and I do stuff. And Well, so let's talk okay, about that real so. quick because that wasn't – I mean we kind of had that here. But that's – I think that's going back to the helping players with creation. So if you have a player who hasn't really provided you with any good hooks, um, you know – is it crazy to be like as a GM be like hey I like your backstory but maybe we can you know is there an enemy that you had is there something like it do you want to like is there a way that you can give them kind of some inspiration so they have a hook so so they're I, more I actually, involved right like yeah I actually James. go the other way and okay. when players are reluctant to write a backstory I will write one for them that that okay. incorporates into the into oh, the uh, into the character. So so I've got a great example. One of my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden players. He's not a most creative guy in the world. Chose criminal as a background. Is a wizard. So I have said you were arrested. You've done a jailbreak. You've actually on the run from 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 people who are trying to chase mm. you. Your mentor is still in prison. He you he you made it. He did not and gave him a backstory. And yeah. he loves it. He's like, this is fantastic. I could never have come up with this. Thank you. And off we went. You know what I mean? So don't be afraid at, at the last end. But this is a chat you have. Like, are you okay with writing a backstory? Yeah. Oh, I'm really, I'm not good at it. All right. Would you like me to do one for you? Sure. And then off we go. We can write one together. Yeah. yeah. And with the with the knowledge that it's going to fit perfectly in your campaign because you you wrote it. It's kind of, it, it's, it's helpful. But, but, but so in the example of somebody has written a backstory, but there's just really not, it's just very pretty bare. And do you, you still want to maybe, hey, maybe add this in. Absolutely. Right? You want to add a little spice. Yeah. You so. go back, you go back yeah. and forth and ask questions. So, uh, in, that same campaign, uh, a brand new player never played before, uh, wrote a few lines but wasn't enough. So I, I said, well, what's the name of that? How old is your daughter? Uh, when's the last time you saw her? You just ask the questions, tease out the detail, and, and soon enough they'll come on board and provide the detail that they need. Very cool. Carl, any thoughts about it. this? Okay. The, the yeah. only <laughs> other thing is absolutely yeah. don't force it. That's great talking about some players just I, – I don't want you – 
I don't want to have a mother that you're going to kill later. I just want to be part of this adventuring party and make money and kill things. And I'll watch everyone Absolutely. else have a interesting story arc. So don't force it. Some people just, just want to be there and do things, you know? So, um, but absolutely, I agree with James. Ask those questions. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like in, in the business world and when you're uh, debugging stuff, the five whys. You just keep asking, why is this? Okay, and they answer and say, okay, why is that? Why is this? And it's a, you know, in this case, it doesn't apply exactly, but it's, you keep digging more and more until you get to the crux of it. Yeah, it's like you're having a ther- you're having a fictional therapy with this character or something. <laughs> really Tell me about your deep. mother. Uh, there's an, there's an yeah. episode in that. There's there an is an episode in that. In that. Uh, let's, let's move to final thoughts because this has been a very rich. We could probably talk a lot more about this stuff, but we're trying to keep it manageable. Um, I think the final thought, and this is something we brought up before the podcast started. Uh, again, I want to reiterate how important it is as a player to have that discussion with your GM. I mean, it's just so much, as you can see, we've talked about so much stuff comes from that. And that don't always be afraid to maybe write backstories that are not going to maybe tie in so much. Um, like we brought up the example of my character in James's game, who was a cobalt. He's the alien in the Feywild. But, you know, I managed my expectations. I didn't expect stuff to happen. James even told, told me, you're not going to have a lot of stuff happening until later on in the game. And I was like, totally cool. Like, I wanted to be an alien. So, you know, if you're, if you're your character is from a different world, is from a different continent, you're coming over there, while you absolutely should still write some type of flaw, uh, uh, you know, enemy or friend that still ties you into the local environment. Like, if you want to make a character that's a fish out of water, that's still absolutely okay, just manage your expectations. I think that's just a really good thing to, to know. And that, that comes with having that dialogue with the GM, is to kind of know where your character might fit. Um, so it does, you know, you don't always have to have the most involved backstory into what's happening, but just, just be aware of what that might mean. Right. Like, so, uh, but again, you can always make some type of connection, um, and the GM might then tie back to that later on. Uh, so any other final thoughts, gents, as we close this out, Carl, uh, just, just, just to summarize, right. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, for me, backstory has two goals. Get into your player or get into your character's head and provide items that a game master can connect to. I mean, that's broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and make it as long and no longer to meet those needs. Um, you know, you can enjoy writing it, that's fine, but the key is that. And then um, think about friend, foe, and family as you're working through it. James? Yeah, um, for mine, it's keep it open. You know, let let the storyteller do do the work. Once you've done the background, keep it open enough that it can be incorporated in the world and give your games master the latitude to kill both your parents and turn you into an orphan. Really, <laughs> I think you're you're the most obsessed with orphans. Let's let's be honest here. You have the biggest thing. Yeah. Very what, cool. Okay. When did an orphan kill your mother? That's what I'm trying to figure <laughs> yeah, out. <that's> right. <laughs> Goddamn orphans. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we, I think we hit that one. Right. So, uh, all right. Well, Hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, drop by mastering the RPG.com to learn about projects, us, um, learn about how you can support us so that we can buy more games to talk about. Um, if you've got a question comment, or obviously you want adjudication of some question, if that's the right way of saying that, um, from Eric or the team here, um, game master at mastering the rpg.com you can also uh, connect with us on twitter at mastering the rpg that's all one word 
Um, so, hey, we'd love positive reviews. We'd love you to subscribe or whatever your podcatcher calls it. Follow, subscribe, whatever. Um, but once again, um, this is Carl with Erickson James. And I'll say, hey, say goodbye, guys. Happy say gaming. Say goodbye, guys. <laughs>